Unfortunately, the Baltimore Orioles were officially eliminated from postseason contention this weekend. But despite that, still pretty fun weekend of baseball. The Orioles win the series, take two out of three from the Yankees, and do not allow Aaron Judge to hit home run number 62. I'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, October 3rd, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap an Orioles weekend series victory over the New York Yankees up in the Bronx. I'll get you my three big takeaways from the weekend that saw the Orioles, despite getting eliminated from the playoff chase, clinch a winning season for the first time since 2016. My three big takeaways have to do with Jordan Lyles just eating and eating innings on Friday night. D.L. Hall being incredible in his first save situation. And the O's going after Aaron Judge and not allowing him to hit number 62. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms every day during the week, Monday through Friday. Find a new episode on Spotify, on Apple Pods, wherever you listen. If you could leave a five-star rating and a review on those apps, it really helps out. And of course, make sure to subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. We're here on YouTube as well. Again, like, comment, and subscribe to the page. This Orioles content does not end when the season ends. I know Two days from now, the final day of the regular season with the O's out officially, there will not be any postseason baseball. But that doesn't mean the content's going to stop here at Locked on Orioles. We will still be five days a week in audio and on YouTube throughout the MLB postseason. We'll be checking in on the postseason, including this Friday. We'll kind of talk about Orioles rooting interests for the playoffs. But we'll also really take a look back and dive deep into this 2022 Orioles season give out some grades on some certain players, talk about their futures with the O's, and then we'll preview the O's offseason as well, which should be a huge one in this Orioles rebuild as the arrow starts to point directly up heading into 2023. But again, we thank you so much for being here all season and making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, it's an Orioles victory. They take two out of three from the New York Yankees this weekend. It started with a two-to-one win On Friday night, then the Orioles fell 8-0 on Saturday, but won the series with a 3-1 victory on Sunday in New York, their final road series of the season. They get two out of three from the Yankees and finish 7-12 against New York on the season. Of course, a little disappointment on Friday. Despite the 2-1 win, the Orioles had to cheer against the Rays and the Mariners. Of course, both teams won. And the O's playoff hopes were officially dashed early on Saturday morning on a Cal Raleigh walk-off home run in the ninth for the Mariners against the Athletics that officially knocked the O's out. And congrats to the Mariners, clinched their first postseason appearance in over 20 years. I said it on Twitter, you know, if the O's were going to lose this playoff spot to anybody, I was happy that it was the Mariners. Again, they haven't been to the postseason since 2001 when they were the major league leader and wins that year and then lost in the first round. That team 
almost got there last year, a great team deserving this year, and I'm cheering for the Mariners to do well in this year's postseason. I know that the Blue Jays and the Rays are getting in too, but I'm very happy that it wasn't someone like the Red Sox or Tony La Russa's White Sox or anyone like that who got this spot instead of the Orioles. At least I am happy that it will be the Mariners. But, you know, despite a loss, the O's were knocked out on Friday night. You could kind of see that that it weighed on them. You know, they go down 4 nothing early on Saturday, and it's tough to come back after that. You know you've been eliminated and play a good game, and they lose 8 nothing Saturday. And that's kind of to be expected, but... They pull it together and put together a really nice win on Sunday to win the series. And again, the big thing Sunday, the Orioles, despite getting knocked out of the playoff chase, win a series and clinch a winning season for the first time since 2016. They get to 82-77 and with the win on Sunday. That means even if the Orioles are swept at home in the three-game series by the Blue Jays to end the season, they'll finish 82-80, and which is a winning season. Just awesome to have winning baseball back in Baltimore. But I'm going to get you my three big takeaways from the Orioles' weekend series win over the Yankees. And my first big takeaway goes to Friday, and it's that Jordan Lyles, while he certainly will not win the award, I think he could get some most valuable Oriole votes when this season is over and done with. Of course, the writers that cover the team give out the most valuable Oriole award vote on it every year. And I think we're all in agreement that the clear front runner is Adley Rutschman for that award this season. But Don't sleep on what Jordan Lyles did for the O's this year. Now, he could potentially start one more time this season. We'll get into that in a second. But in his start on Friday night, he goes seven-plus innings, allowing just one run on four hits, tied a season high with nine strikeouts, and walked just one in this game against the Yankees. His only run, he allowed a solo home run hit by Oswaldo Cabrera in the fifth inning that tied the game at one at that point. Threw 106 pitches in this one. He did come back out for the eighth inning with 104 pitches, but gave up an 0-1 single to Connor Falefa and then was pulled from the game. But it was just a fantastic performance for Lyles, who allowed only six hard-hit balls in this game, and he just rolled through this Yankees order, and it was so interesting because Lyles was pitching on short rest. Now, it wasn't your normal short rest. Remember, he started the Monday night game at Fenway Park and did not look good through two innings. He had thrown 37 pitches. He had given up a couple of runs. And then the skies opened up. They had a 90-minute rain delay in that game after the second inning. And when they came back, neither of the starters were able to come back into the game. So Spencer Watkins came in for long relief, and Jordan Lyles was out. So because he only threw those 37 pitches on Monday, he would have originally been scheduled to pitch Saturday. But you know, he felt good enough to pitch a day early on Friday, which opened him up to potentially pitch again on the final day of the season on Wednesday. So the O's pitch him Friday, and the stuff looked great. And once again, the key to the success for Jordan Lyles was a heavy slider usage. Of his 106 pitches, he threw 38 sliders. That was his most used pitch, 36% of the time. And the pitch was dominant. Got a, you know, game-high six whiffs, six of his 16 whiffs came on that slider, also had a game-high nine called strikes with that pitch. It was absolutely dominant, got a lot of foul balls, seven of them, just a whole lot of strikes with the slider. He was in the strike zone. He was getting him to chase the pitch out of the strike zone, and it's that new sweeper that Jordan Lyles developed for this season, and he's continued to throw it, you know, over the last month or two, be his most used pitch, and it continues to work for him. And then he can throw that four-seamer off it, and he can throw the curveball off it. Now he's got the sinker, and he's even mixing the cutter in there as well. You know, we saw six cutters in this game. That's the most he's thrown this year since he added that pitch a couple of weeks ago. 
And he got two whiffs on the cutter, and he, you know, really didn't go to the cutter in the first four or five innings. And I think all six of his cutters that he threw came in the sixth, seventh, and eighth of this game. He kind of broke it out late to mix things up to those Yankee hitters, and he got some big swings and misses with that cut fastball, and it's just another weapon for Jordan Lyles. Got four whiffs on the curveball as well, three on the fastball. Again, 16 whiffs, and he got at least one on all five types of pitches that he threw. It was a great, well-put-together start from Lyles. You could argue this was even a better start than the complete game he threw against the Tigers. A lot of that has to do with the opponent, but the stuff was nastier, certainly, on Friday night against the Yankees. And now, you know, you look at this season, and in terms of most valuable Oriole, again, Adley Rutschman's going to win, and Cedric Mullins and Anthony Santander, and I think Felix Bautista will get some votes. I think beyond those four guys, Jordan Lyles is certainly your next choice, and maybe he's above someone like Felix. I mean, you look at his season so far, and again, he could start one more time. And and we'll get to that now. I mean, you know, apparently Brandon Hyde has talked to Jordan Lyles about it, and he'll kind of see how he feels. Lyles would be lined up to start Wednesday, the season finale. The O's are going to go with Dean Kramer here tonight. They'll have Mike Bauman pitch Tuesday, of course, Grayson Rodriguez may be still in the mix here. When Brandon Hyde was asked about it before Sunday's game, he said basically that's a question for Mike Elias, whether or not Gray Rod pitches for the Orioles before this season ends. So it could be Grayson Rodriguez in the season finale. That'd be kind of cool on Wednesday. But it could also be Lyles, depending on how he's feeling. And, you know, if he does start that game, he will set a new career high in innings. He has now thrown 179 innings this year. His career high was 180 he threw last year with Texas. But on the season, 32 starts, that's a career high, a 4.42 ERA. Hey, if you throw an exact quality start every time out, six innings, three runs, that's a 4.5 ERA. And Lyles has at least been lower than that. Again, the 179 innings, a 4.40 FIP, which means has been a lot of luck involved. You know, he's kind of pitched to his talent level. 1.5 war, according to fan graphs. 7.2 Ks per nine, not dominant, but his 2.6 walks per nine was his lowest number since his rookie year with the Astros all the way back in 2011. So he's thrown a lot more strikes here with the Orioles this year. He's added the sweeper. He's added the cutter. It's just been a really good year from Jordan Lyles. And you look at the value to the Orioles. Again, he's thrown those 179 innings and he could get one more start. Second on the Orioles in innings is Dean Kramer with 119 and a third innings. Lyles has thrown 60 more innings than the Orioles' second-place pitcher on that list this year. Just eating those innings is super valuable for this Orioles team, especially when you consider, you know, the injuries to John Means and then the, to Grayson Rodriguez, who they were expecting to be up in the middle of the year as well. So you look at Jordan Lyles moving forward, and, you know, I would like to see him pitch Wednesday if it's not going to be Grayson Rodriguez, but He's got a team option for next year. It would be $11 million. The Orioles decide whether or not they want to bring him back for 2023. Lyle said this week he wants to be back with the Orioles next season, but obviously it is the team's decision. And I don't think the O's are going to bring Lyles back and expecting him to be kind of the ace of this staff again. But I'd like to see him back. You know, $11 million is not super expensive for a pitcher that is going to throw 180-plus innings. And he could be worse. He doesn't have the greatest track record in his career. He's in his early 30s, but he gave the Orioles a lot this year. He was so important to this pitching staff. It's something Lyles talked about this week as well. Just, you know, how the other pitchers call him dad, and he, he's been the veteran leader for these young starters that the Orioles have, you know, really developed really well this season. 
And I think it would be worth it to bring him back next year, even if Lyles is just here to fill the gap until John Means gets back. I mean, Means certainly will not be ready for opening day after he got Tommy John surgery in April. But, you know, John Means could be a full go by July of next year, maybe June, probably July of next year around the All-Star break. So even if Lyles is just here to pitch in the rotation until then, I think that's worth the $11 million option in keeping him with this pitching staff. Now, I'd like the O's to go sign a Carlos Rodon or go trade for a Pablo Lopez or something like that to really get a top-of-the-rotation starter to add to this team. But even if to do that, you can still bring back Jordan Lyles because you need to go into spring training with at least eight major league-ready starting pitchers. And Jordan Lyles can certainly be one of those heading into next year because you need that starting pitching depth to make it through a 162-game season as a true contender. And Lyles, not going to be an ace. But every team needs that innings eater at the back end of their rotation. And I think that could be Jordan Lyles next year. And he was certainly an innings eater at the front of the rotation this season. But Lyles was not the only pitcher who impressed this weekend. While he was the veteran who did some good things for the O's, they also had a rookie in D.L. Hall who really impressed us all in that Friday night game, picking up his first career save. And coming up next, we'll dive deeply into how impressive Hall was and why this shows that while it may not be his role next year, he could certainly be a lockdown reliever moving forward. But first got to tell you about Built Bar because you've heard me talk about Built Bar from time to time and they're delicious protein bars covered in 100% real chocolate, but they've got another treat as well, which is just, if not more, delicious. And if you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. It is delicious, indulgent cookie dough, and it's covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. The first protein-infused marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's all the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it, and it's healthy for you. The cookie dough chunk puffs have only 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein. And you can get the puffs, and you can also get those classic Built Bars as well with all of their delicious flavors. So go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON15, and get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off at Built.com. So the Orioles take two out of three from the New York Yankees this weekend in the Bronx, and we talked about Jordan Lyles having the great start on Friday night, but the O's still had to seal that close game. It was a 2-1 to lead when Lyles left the game in the eighth inning, and they had to get six outs from a bullpen that's been tired and has been struggling lately. And they went to Felix Bautista for what we initially thought may have been a six-out save. But Bautista, during the inning, seemed to come off the mound rough on a pitch to Aaron Judge. And he did finish off the eighth, two strikeouts, a walk, and threw a scoreless inning, but left the game with some left knee discomfort that also held him out of the rest of the games this weekend. Doesn't look like he'll go on the injured list for now, but may not be available even today. Hopefully he is, but because Bautista was hobbled and had the trainers looking at him, the Orioles had D.L. Hall start to throw in that eighth inning. Now, they didn't use him, but once Bautista went to the dugout, sat on the bench, I'm sure things got a little stiff on him in that knee, and the O's had to be cautious at that point, so they take him out of the game. And 
Many would have argued, well, you know, go to CNL Perez or go to Dylan Tate. If you need that 2-1 save, they've had the experience. But each of those guys had pitched the day before in Boston on Thursday. Each of them had given up a run in that game against the Red Sox, and each had pitched a lot lately. So you know what? Brandon Hyde said, let's go to the guy with maybe the best stuff in our bullpen in D.L. Hall and just kind of throw the rookie to the Wolves and see what happens. So Hall comes in, bottom of the ninth inning at Yankee Stadium. You're leading 2-1, to one, and you're facing Stanton, Marwin Gonzalez, and Oswaldo Cabrera. And all D.L. Hall does is just make those three hitters look silly in a 1-2-3 inning with a couple of strikeouts for his first career save. He gets Stanton to pop out on a nasty changeup, and then he strikes out Marwin Gonzalez on an even nastier changeup, and then he gets Cabrera looking on a 96-mile-per-hour fastball on the inside corner at the knees for a called strike three to end the game. Hall was fired up at the end of this game, and rightfully so, with Adley Rutschman coming out there to meet him, the two-star rookies for the Orioles. Hall got interviewed on Masson after the game. He talked about how much that moment meant to him. But man, the stuff looked good from D.L. Hall in that role. It took him just 13 pitches to go one, two, three, nine of them for strikes. The command was not an issue one bit. It was pinpoint command from D.L. Hall in that inning. And he went heavy changeup because that pitch was just disgusting. He went seven changeups out of his 13 pitches. He got one whiff. He got two called strikes. Again, that pitch sat 84-85 with a little tail down and away from right-handers. He was just dotting it wherever he wanted. And then he threw five four-seam fastballs. You know, they were 96 to 98 on the night. And he did throw one curveball in there as well. But he was really a fastball change-up pitcher coming in to get the save. And it was really, really impressive. I mean, he wasn't facing Judge and, you know, Torres maybe. But he did have to face Stanton. And it does get a little easier, Marwin Gonzalez and Oswaldo Cabrera. But still, impressive, impressive stuff from D.L. Hall. And everyone's worried about the walks and the command. They were not an issue at all on Friday night to get that save. And Hall now out of the bullpen, you look at those numbers. And, you know, obviously you take out the one start in Tampa because that was not as a reliever. And if you take out that one relief appearance back on Labor Day against the Blue Jays in game one of that doubleheader, remember things just kind of got away from D.L. Hall in the top of the ninth inning. He was trying to keep it a one-run game and ended up giving up three runs on four hits and recording just one out in that game. If you remove that game from D.L. Hall's line as a reliever, here is his bullpen stats. And again, you can certainly argue, well, you can't take out just random relief appearances. They all matter. I get it. But if you take out that one bad appearance, here is Hall's line out of the Orioles' bullpen since he was recalled to be a reliever. Eight and two-thirds innings, Six hits, just one run allowed, 11 strikeouts, and just two walks in that time. That is really, really impressive stuff from Hall. 11 Ks to two walks in that span for a guy where walks have been the worry and been the issue as he's gotten called up to the big leagues. It's been great command for D.L. Hall from the left side. And now, this does not mean that Hall is going to be a reliever heading into 2023. In fact, he is going to be a starting pitcher as he gets to Sarasota for spring training in February. He's going to come in as a starter. He's going to work as a starter. He's going to try to make the Orioles team as a starting pitcher next spring. But the one thing the O's have in their back pocket is, A, if they you know do go trade for a top-of-the-line starter, and they retain Jordan Lyles, and maybe you're looking at you know Grayson Rodriguez, and maybe it's Pablo Lopez, and then you've got Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells and Jordan Lyles you know, and Austin Voth. You've got all these options. 
You can put D.L. Hall on the Major League team without specifically saying, you know, he's a starter in our rotation to start the season. And whether he pitches in these one-inning stints or, you know, kind of a multi-inning, longer relief guy out of the bullpen, you at least know now that he can do this. He can pitch out of the pen with success, whether it be one inning, whether it be two-plus innings at a time. And we know, because we've seen him do it throughout the minors, he's still a starting pitcher. And you can have him basically try out for that role in spring training. If it doesn't quite work yet, you can still keep him on the big league team instead of sending him back to AAA Norfolk again, where he basically has nothing else to do, nothing else to learn in AAA. If he doesn't win a rotation spot, you know that you can keep him on the team in the bullpen and that he's going to be a weapon out of your bullpen early next year with still the idea that he's going to be a starter for you at some point during the season. You're going to need him to be a starter. He will get starts. And if at the end of the day and down the road, D.L. Hall is the Josh Hader of this Orioles team, I will take it. I think he could be that. I still think he could be a really good starting pitcher with this great stuff. Maybe he'll be a five-and-dive guy where you know he never gives you more than five or six innings, but they're really dominant. There's some walks, but there's a lot of strikeouts. A, kind of a Blake Snell type. I'll take that. But if it has to be the Josh Hader, Josh Hader for a few years there, and he's kind of turning back into that right now with San Diego, was the best closer in baseball. And nobody could hit him. So if D.L. Hall is going to be that, yeah, that to Felix Bautista, yeah, I'll take that at the end of the bullpen. And again, that's not me saying that's what I think is going to happen. But if it is the end result, he's showing right now that he can do it out of the pen. And that just gives the O's more weapons. More weapons moving forward. But the stuff is great from Hall. He's still going to be a starter next year. But he's got this in his back pocket and just makes him so much more dangerous heading into 2023. But of course, the ninth inning and the save was really impressive for D.L. Hall. But the one guy he didn't get the face was Aaron Judge. I would have loved to have seen that matchup. But the Orioles really handled Judge just fantastically this week. And I, I said it on Friday's episode, I was convinced the O's were going to give up home run number 62. But they didn't. So coming up next, we'll get to my third and final big takeaway from the weekend and talk about how the Orioles attacked Aaron Judge the right way, no matter what the whiny Yankee fans say. So the Orioles win the series this weekend, take two out of three from the New York Yankees. And a lot of the reason they did so is because they did not let Aaron Judge beat them this weekend. He has beaten them multiple times this year in key spots, and they just didn't let it happen. And in doing that, they, of course, also did not let Aaron Judge pass Roger Maris for the AL record in home runs, the Yankee record, and what would be seventh all-time in Major League history. Barry Bonds is the home run king. Let's just get that out of the way. Barry Bonds is the home run king. But Aaron Judge is still playing for some sort of history in the American League and obviously Yankee history as well. And it seemed like all Yankee fans and Yankee media did this weekend was whine and whine and whine about how the Orioles didn't give Aaron Judge anything to hit. They were pitching scared. They were pitching around him, blah, blah, blah. Well, let's look at the stats. First of all, Judge did not hit a home run this season. That's the first thing. He came in with the 61 homers with six games remaining to get that one extra homer to take the all-time lead in the American League. He did not get it. So now he's got three chances in Texas against the Rangers to do it this week. Number two, only one intentional walk all weekend. And it wasn't even a straight intentional walk. Felix Bautista was facing Aaron Judge. 
with a runner on second and one out in the bottom of the eighth inning with the Orioles leading 2-1. to one. This was Friday night. Remember, this was before the Orioles were eliminated. They were still in the playoff race when this situation happened in the eighth inning on Friday. It wasn't until later that night when they were eliminated. You're really going to pitch to Aaron Judge as he represents most likely the winning run in the eighth inning? And Bautista actually starts to try to go after him. He misses with ball one and then misses with ball two and comes up limp on that second pitch, kind of shaking out his knee. Brandon Hyde and the Orioles athletic trainers come out to take a look at Felix Bautista. It was actually a long look. He walked around. He threw some practice pitches. Uh, The classless Yankees fans booing him for being injured. And then he comes back. And he tries to throw another pitch. It's ball three. And at that point, he's a little hobbled. The base is open. You got the best hitter in the American League at the plate. You're winning. You're trying to win a game in a playoff race. Every single team on the planet would have just said, all right, intentional walk. And that's what the O's do. After the 3-0 count, they just sent him down to first. That was the only intentional walk of the weekend. And it was like a pretty precise scenario where you'd already thrown three balls and the base was open and the pitcher was literally injured in the eighth inning of a one-run game. Every single manager intentional walks there. So the O's, they did nothing wrong. They did the right thing. Now, he did walk four other times on the weekend, and he was also hit by a pitch once. But I would argue, technically, the only plate appearance in which he didn't actually get anything to hit was in that hit by pitch. It was the leadoff plate appearance in the first inning of Saturday's game. Austin Voth threw two pitches out of the strike zone and then a 2-0 pitch missed inside with a a cutter and hit Aaron Judge. So technically, yeah, in that first plate appearance on Saturday, he didn't get anything to hit. But the other four walks that were not intentional, there was at least one strike thrown in each of those plate appearances. So, So he had something to hit. And how about this? Judge finished one for seven with six strikeouts and five walks and the hit by pitch. He struck out more than he walked. And the last time I checked in baseball... To strike out, you have to see strikes. You actually have to see three of them. And so I'm not sure it computes on the take of Aaron Judge didn't see any strikes. The Orioles didn't throw him any strikes. Well, they threw him at least 18 strikes because he struck out six times this weekend. And his only hit was a single on Friday. That was it. I think the O's attacked him pretty well. Jordan Lyles struck him out. Spencer Watkins went after him and struck him out. Brian Baker threw 99 by him at the letters to strike him out in his last day B on Sunday. You had Orioles pitchers going at him. Austin Voth struck him out in this game, or in this weekend, I should say. Yeah, the O's were being a little careful with him, and they probably walked him more than they would your average hitter. But that happens to the best hitter in the American League, the guy who's going to win MVP. You got a team in a playoff race. They're not just going to throw the ball down the middle. And you get the Yankees fans chanting a-hole at Spencer Watkins. They're booing every pitch that's out of the zone. I mean, have a little dignity. Well, it's Yankees fans. What should I expect? Nothing different at this point. But the O's attacked him just like I wanted them to. They threw strikes when needed. You know, they pitched on the corners, they got some strikeouts, they went at him when it made sense, and they were careful when it made sense as well, and they were okay to walk him because you know what? Giving up a home run, much worse than giving up a single base walk. And Aaron Judge has hit 61 home runs this year. That's a lot. It's tied for the American League record. It's a lot of homers. You better take your chances with, 
you know, trying to hit the corners. And if you walk him, you walk him. The O's are trying to win games. They were in a playoff race. They pitched him perfectly this weekend. So I don't know what the Yankees fans want. Some of these people on Yes Network saying the Orioles are cowards or whatever it may be. What do you want them to throw a fastball right down the middle? No, they're going to throw breaking pitches because that's how teams pitch Aaron Judge. Whether he's got 51, 41, 31, 61 homers, that's how teams are going to pitch him because he's really good at baseball and he hits a lot of homers. You're trying not to let him hit homers when you're trying to win baseball games in a playoff race. The O's did it perfectly. They attacked him when they had to. They played it safe when they had to. And they didn't give up number 62. And they will not go down in whatever weird American League history books that Yankees fans are holding on to here. And what they have to hold on to is the Series L this weekend against the Orioles. And it gets the O's, of course, to a winning record on the season. 82-77. and 77. They're going to finish with a winning record. First time since 2016. And it's unfortunate, it's disappointing that this team officially was eliminated from the playoff chase this weekend. But we had kind of known for weeks, especially in that tough Blue Jays series in early September. From that point on, we kind of knew it was pretty much over in terms of the playoff chase. But it was still a whole lot of fun. And it's amazing that this team, with this roster, pulled it together and it's going to finish with a winning record. And they can still get as many as 85 wins this season. Hey, They can't exactly play super spoiler to the Blue Jays because they've already clinched a playoff spot, but they could mess with the Blue Jays seeding, maybe keep them from getting home field in the wildcard series this weekend because there's three more games at Camden Yards between the O's and the Blue Jays, and that series starts tonight. And I'll be back with you on the podcast here tomorrow, recapping game one between Baltimore and Toronto, getting you the five things you need to know from that one and breaking down all things Orioles as we've got just three games remaining in this magical season. So despite the fact that they're out of the playoff race, savor these final three games and I'll be back with you here tomorrow to recap it all. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team... Every day.